Thanks for listening to the Inner Life Podcast. Be sure to join us every weekday at 11 a.m. Central on Relevant Radio or on the Relevant Radio app. Find your local Relevant Radio station at RelevantRadio.com or stream us live every day on the Relevant Radio app. It's time to set out on the pathway to healing and light. This is The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. If you have questions or concerns about your faith journey, if you are struggling or searching for something more, if you are in need of some spiritual direction, our Catholic priests are here to help. One heart at a time. Welcome to The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. Well, off to another week starting here. Hi, I'm Josh Raymond, and uh, glad to have you along here on this Monday of the 19th week in Ordinary Time uh, as you're listening to The Inner Life here. And also uh, the feast of a wonderful saint, St. Teresa Benedict of the Cross, also known as Edith Stein. If you don't know anything about her, highly recommend just going online, reading about her um, really, really remarkable life, a uh, Jewish woman who converted to the Catholic Church and uh, stood up for her faith, also being a martyr during World War II. Well, today, though, we're not going to talk about St. Uh, Teresa Benedicta. We're going to talk about going back to school. We're all getting into that time of year where kids start heading back to school. And depending upon where you live, school may have already started. It might start in a few days, might uh, have two or three more weeks until that first day of class that your kids go to. Uh, there's all kinds of things that happen around this time. There's the back-to-school shopping that you have to do with your kids, all of the items on the list from the school. Or if you have a student that's in college, then you might be helping them to load up the car with everything they need for their dorm. Uh, maybe you're out of that parent age where you're helping kids go back to school. Maybe you're a grandparent and uh, you get to see your kids helping your grandkids through that process. Do you remember that feeling, though, of heading off to school for the first day when you were young? There was that excitement, but maybe also a little bit of kind of first-day jitters there. And you hadn't seen some of your friends throughout the summer months now. This was back in the age before social media, where everybody's connected at all times. So, you know, not seeing your friends for a little while, you were looking forward to being back there, seeing them again. But you also, it might have been nice to have that summer break. You know, if there were a couple of mean kids at school that, uh, you know, you always tried to avoid. Well, it's nice to have summer where you didn't have to deal with any of their put-downs or their teasing. I know for me, the first day of school was more exciting when I was in those younger years, you know, first, second, third, fourth grade, that age. Those were the years where school, it wasn't a chore like it became later on. But uh, typically for the first day of school, I would always have maybe a couple of new pairs of pants, usually jeans. I was a jeans and t-shirt kind of kid. Um, you know, other kids would wear nicer clothes, but I was always jeans and t-shirts. And uh, so you maybe have a couple new pairs of jeans, couple new t-shirts, almost always certainly a new pair of shoes there to start the year. But I didn't want to come out of the gate on day one and day two, just all new clothes. And then day three and day four, it's just old clothes from last year. So I'd kind of try and space those out uh, during that first week or two weeks there. But one of the first day of school memories that I have when I was older, it was beginning my sophomore year of high school. And now where I grew up, we had a junior high school, and that consisted of the years of seventh, eighth, and ninth grades all in one building. 
And the ninth graders, they were still considered in high school. Uh, your grades counted for high school transcripts. If you were participating in a number of the different sports, you'd be bussed over to the high school campus to participate with the older students. But you didn't attend classes at the high school until you started 10th grade, your sophomore year. And so our school had uh, on its campus a few different buildings there. And one of the buildings that was off across the lot from the main building, it was the science building. And to this day, I do not know how they came up with the room numbering convention for this building. And I couldn't actually remember it. It had been long ago enough for me. I couldn't remember the exact layout of the building. So this morning I looked it up on Google Maps just to see what, how many rooms were there. I thought there might have been 10 or 12 rooms in it, but I was wrong. It only had eight rooms. And you might be wondering, well, how in the world could looking at Google Maps help me know what kind of, you know, how, how many rooms there were? Well, it's because this building had a rounded kind of layout. So if you look down at it, top down, aerial view, like I did while looking on Google Maps, you would see that the building is in the shape of an octagon. And each one of those eight walls, those outside walls of the octagon, that was one of those uh, rooms. So very easy to look at the building and know how many rooms are there. So if you look down from that aerial view, again, octagon building, but for some reason, the numbers of the rooms didn't go in order as you walked around the outside of the building, whether it was walking clockwise or counterclockwise. You'd think that if you were standing in front of the door that went into the building for room number one, that on the next side, that, that next wall, either on the right or the wall on the left of you, <laughs> you'd find room number two. But that was not how it was designed. If you were at the door going into room one from the outside of the building, the next door on the right, it wouldn't be to room four or to room two. It'd be to room four or five. And then the next one after that would be maybe room eight or room three. It just, it was some bizarre pattern of room numbers. And so on that first day of school as a sophomore, if you had a math or science class in that building, you'd be wandering around outside of the building trying to find the right room. All of these lost 15 or 16 year olds as sophomores that are running around outside this science building trying not to be late for their class, but it was inevitable. You know, those first couple of days of school, there were several of us that were late trying to find the room where we were supposed to go. And it was also very common those first couple of days, you'd have somebody walk in, realize, wait, is this the right class? No, it's not. And then they'd leave immediately. And then you'd think that we would have had that all figured out, the room numbers, so that we didn't get lost next year as we came back as juniors or, you know, as seniors in high school. But that's not the case either. There might have been more sophomores that are running around searching at the beginning of every class hour trying to find their right room there in that science building. But there were still a few of us juniors and seniors having just as much difficulty on the first one or two days of school there. And I never did get an explanation of why the numbers of the rooms didn't go in order. I think many of us students, we just accepted it. We learned how to get to our class without really ever questioning why the room numbers seemed so random, so haphazard for us. And so there in that science building, we had a bunch of students that are learning things like biology and chemistry and algebra and trigonometry and other things, you know, pre-calculus. But in spite of these higher kind of math and science classes, 
I think there were many of us, probably most of us, that just didn't understand the basics of the building where we're learning, the room numbers, how those <laughs> are laid out in that building while, while we're being taught math and science. And, you know, sometimes I think we can have that same sort of approach in how we pass on the faith to our kids. We can get so used to some of the normalcy around us, the routine of the Mass or the liturgical calendar, that we forget that our kids might not understand some of the basics of why we do things a certain way, why things are ordered or structured the way they are. So today we want to talk about some practical ways that we can pass the faith on to our kids. You know, it's that back-to-school time, so we want to make sure that we're not only learning about the reading, writing, and arithmetic. We want to, we want to ensure that our kids have a solid religious education, too. And helping us to look at how we can pass on the faith to our kids today, one of our regular spiritual directors, Father Dave Heaney, he's a priest in the Archdiocese of Los Angeles, the pastor of St. Bruno's Catholic Church in Whittier, California, and uh, has a fairly recently published book out as well that I want to mention, Luke 10 Leadership, How to Succeed in Parish Ministry, and it's a book that's available by Ave Maria Press. Father Dave, so glad to have you back here on the program today. Um, are you glad that you're well beyond your first day of school uh, uh, days <laughs> from being a student? Yes, and, uh, you know, I, I also went to school in, a, in an octagon-shaped uh, school building, but uh, I, our numbers were pretty orderly, so uh, you had quite a challenge there in your... Oh, it was such a mess building. those first couple of days, Father. <laughs> yeah, it really was. And uh, uh, it, that, that school building is actually no longer in use. They built a new high school, so the mm. kids that are growing up and going to high school uh, in the town where I grew up, they don't have that. It, I think that they will lack that character building experience of going <laughs> to our science building. But well, to start off here, as we talk about, uh, you know, uh, going back to school and continuing religious education for our children to start off, I thought it might be good to talk about the importance for all of us, not just our kids, but all of us to continue in our learning, to continue trying to understand what we believe and, you know, one of the quotes that I really love from C.S. Lewis, I mean, there's, I could quote him all day long, but in his book, Mere Christianity, he has one part where he's talking about the virtues, and he said, uh, God is no fonder of intellectual slackers than of any other slackers. If you're thinking of becoming Christian, I warn you, you are embarking on something which is going to take the whole of you, brains and all. And I love that quote. You know, when we talk about faith, about religion, some people have this mistaken notion that having faith it negates a need to keep on learning or to use reason or logic when we look at what we believe as Catholics. But quite honestly, our church teaches us quite the opposite. Uh, having that well-founded intellectual understanding that complements our faith, that, that's so important for us. There's many streams coming together here. First, you know, and I think everything is based on the final words of Jesus before he ascended into heaven. So these are words that are very important. These are the final, this is this final message to everyone in which he says, go into the world and baptize everyone in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So his final words were, we are to take our faith and bring it to the world and to share it with others, whether it's strangers, as I talk about in my book, Luke 10, or in our family. Where we, where we know them. And in order to do that, of course, we have to know it well. But we hope that the journey of faith of, 
of coming to know our faith is, is something that we take seriously because this is Jesus' final words, but it also is a joyful journey that we really enjoy learning more about our faith. What's going on in the creed? What does Jesus mean by this? What's happening at Mass? And if it's a joyful journey for us to learn more about that, then when we do express it to the people around us, they sense that joy also. And that's the most powerful virtue that you can have as a teacher. I'm sure we all remember our favorite teachers in school, that they were the ones that just really enjoyed their work. They just couldn't wait to teach you about science or geography or history. And so we want to be the same way in our faith as well. Let's connect with the joy that we have with our faith, and then we can pass that on to others, because that's what our Lord wants us to do. He wants us to take that faith, take our faith, and bring it to the world, His final commission. Mm. I, I love that, you know, the, the example of those teachers. And I think, you're, I think you're absolutely right, Father Dave, that each one of us, we had at least one or two teachers at some point, you know, whether it is elementary, uh, you know, later in high school, maybe in college, a professor, somebody who makes that impression. And they just love what they do, what they're talking about, what they're teaching. Um, I presume that must have been the case in some way for you, for you to have answered a call to, for your vocation of being a priest. Is there something that really kind of stood out in your personal journey where you, you had that person that just sparked that, um, you know, that, that interest in you? They, they came with that joyfulness in what they were teaching about what we believe as Catholics? Absolutely. I, I think I first have to say from the first classroom, my first classroom was my home. And my parents were both uh, very happy people. They were funny, they were very witty. I just always remember laughing. <clears throat> but my dad was a scientist and a very serious scientist and worked in a very important laboratory. And he taught me that, that truth is objective, that it's something that's out there, that it's not just my preferences or what I want. Uh, but he always just had this famous phrase, you go where the data takes you. And that was a very uh, powerful lesson for me because I, it got me out of my, you know, whatever I thought was right or <clears throat> my own personal feelings, which we see so much in relativism today. So that was a very important lesson for me. And then my mother, very Italian, very emotional, a lot of passion, <clears throat> uh, also very happy. Uh, so I think that was the first experience for me was just having these people that really enjoyed life enjoyed talking about it. We always had lively discussions at our dinner table. Um, and then in school, I think when I, when I finally arrived in school, I was basically interested in everything. And I just really liked learning. I liked discovering things. What is the truth that's out there? Uh, I never brought any prejudice or, <clears throat> you know, to, uh, to learning. I just wanted to know what does the teacher have to say. Um, and I think when I was in the seminary, certainly, uh, I was blessed, I think, in a golden time in our seminary here in Los Angeles where we had <clears throat> just outstanding teachers who loved the faith and loved to explore it, loved to express it. But I think for me, uh, <clears throat> what, what made, really made the difference was that first classroom, which was uh, my home with my folks and my brother. Mm. What do you think? I, I'll, I'll say this question more specifically for younger parents out there. I mean, I think this is important. You know, if, if you have teens in your house or if you have even a college age student that's coming back and you're seeing them just during the summer, but especially as you're trying to engage younger kids, maybe as they're approaching that uh, first communion, first reconciliation age. 
what are ways if there's if you're not just a naturally kind of witty, joyful person like you're talking about the home you grew up in, what are ways that you can kind of foster that joy in your family and in the way that you communicate the faith to your kids? Mm, that's a great question. I think the first thing is to believe and to have confidence in your own personal experience. First of all, you have to know what that is. So kind of think about what, what, what do I like about the Mass? What happens to me when I receive communion? What happens to me when I read the scriptures? So to connect with that and your feelings and then you can always speak about personal experience easily. If, you, if you're trying to think of a catechism answer, if you're trying to think of what you learned uh, back in school, if you're trying to think of a theological idea, you know, very often you might get nervous. Am I going to get it right? Am I saying something wrong? And that will come across as kind of uncertainty to the people you're talking to. But if you fall back on just your personal experience, you can talk about that very easily because there's nothing to consult except your own heart. So if you have a, a young person in your family that asks you about, well, you know, what is the Eucharist or what is this or that? Very simply, you can say, well, I, I'm not sure I can give you the exact answer, but let me tell you how I feel when I receive the Eucharist. Or let me tell you what happens to me when I pray. Or what happens to me when I say the rosary. And I think that is actually more compelling to young people than, than anything else because, uh, you know, they, they may not understand the theology, theological concepts either, but they know you, they like you, they are, have a relationship with you as a, as a mother or father or brother or sister. And if they're hearing just authentic, honest statements from you about how you experience things, I think that's very compelling and, uh, and very, very powerful. And really the way our Lord asked the disciples to kind of share at the beginning as well. So personal experience is something that you can always rely on. Uh, so first of all, check in with that, you know, just be, begin to be, you know, kind of sense what is your experience about all these different faith ex practices, and then you'll have the confidence to speak about them. Mm. Our spiritual director today, Father Dave Heaney, a priest in the Archdiocese of Los Angeles, and we're talking about passing the faith on to our kids, ways that we can approach our children and talk with them about what we believe. Uh, also, coming up in just a moment, we're going to talk about our role as parents, as the primary, the principal educators of our children, what that means, what that uh, demands and requires of us, and ways that we can uh, do that in our home. We're starting to get into that a little bit, bit now, but want to dive a little deeper there. And what are some ways that you have taught your kids about what we believe as Catholics. We'd love to hear some of those successful approaches that you've used to help your children understand even maybe some of the more difficult aspects of our faith. Things like the Eucharist and transubstantiation, the doctrine of the Trinity, maybe how Jesus is fully God yet fully man at the exact same time. Uh, what are some of the ways that you've been able to encourage your kids and also to have that joyful approach to the way that you're talking about the faith? Our studio line is 888-914-9149-888-914-9149, our email address, relevantradio.com, and we'll continue our conversation in just a moment here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app.
Catholic Order of Foresters is proud to sponsor the Relevant Radio Studio Line. For information about employment opportunities and flexible premium life insurance plans, visit relevantradio.com slash forester. Welcome back to The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. Call in now to share your story with our Inner Life Spiritual Directors. 1-888-914-9149. That's 1-888-914-9149. This is The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. Welcome back to The Inner Life. I'm Josh Raymond, along with our spiritual director, Father Dave Heaney, a priest in the Archdiocese of Los Angeles, pastor of St. Bruno's Catholic Church in Whittier, California. Today, talking about how we can pass the faith on to our children. What are some ways that you have taught your kids about the faith, about what we believe as Catholics? How have you been able to encourage them? Maybe it's preparing for receiving the sacraments. Maybe it's uh, some of the different teachings we have. Maybe it's helping them uh, just get that passion for learning about the faith, learning about uh, what we believe out of the Bible. Uh, Maybe you're a young parent and you're looking for a little bit of advice, a little bit of help. Well, our studio line here where you can speak with our spiritual director, 888-914-9149, Email address innerlife at relevantradio.com. And Father, uh, before the break, we were talking about how we can talk with our kids, and you were talking especially about, you know, we might not have all those answers, but we can talk about our own personal experience, how going to Mass, how receiving the Eucharist, how being, you know, able to receive absolution in the sacrament of confession, things like this. We can relate that personal experience there. Another thought that I had as you were talking about this, I think it's so it's so good to just be able to tell our kids from time to time when they ask a tough question, you know, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that, but let's try and look it up. Let's try and figure it out. But I had mentioned also right before we took the break, parents are the primary and principal educators of their children. That's that's those are the words that the church uses mm-hmm. comes out of the Second Vatican Council. But it is understood we're not going to be experts in every field. You know, I'm not qualified to teach my children all kinds of different areas. I have a daughter right now who's working towards a pre-med degree in surgical uh, a surgical technician program. And I am not the one that should be teaching her that, right? You know, the, there's just no way I should be the one going and trying to explain to her anything regarding surgery. So she's going to college. She's going to learn from experts in that field. But we might not be experts when it comes to matters of the faith and what we believe. So what are some different uh, options that we have as parents, you know, additional support for teaching our kids what we believe as Catholics? It's a great question. And let me just say quickly that uh, we do have construction going on across the street from uh, our church here. So just in case that sound comes in, that's that's what's going on. But, uh, you know, that question always reminds me of of that statement that uh, flight attendants give on airplanes when they say, in case of emergency, oxygen mask will come down and put your, if you have a child with you, put your mask on first so that you are breathing and then you'll be strong enough to, and uh, well enough to put the mask on your child. So, you know, uh, you're going to look forward to that time when it's, when it's an emergency situation and your child asks you a question that's a challenge. 
So you want to put your mask on first, which means you want to be ready. And, and the simplest way that you can do that, that the church has provided us this incredible resource, which is the catechism. And also, if I may say, YouTube, if you go to the right sites. Um, but the catechism, you know, is just an incredible treasure of information that you can read episodically. You don't have to read it from page one all the way through to the, to the end. It does have an orderly sequence of topics, but it is also designed to, you know, look up a topic in the index and go to that page and just read that section. Um, and I think that's just uh, something that you can do when you're ready on your own. Uh, or if the child asks a question, let's go to the catechism together and look it up. So it can be kind of a journey of discovery, discovery for both of you. And you'll also be modeling for your child uh, that beautiful, you know, being at ease with, an, with not knowing an answer, but actually knowing where to go for the answer and to go, and to, go, for it, go to it together. So don't be afraid of the question. It can actually be an opportunity to have a shared activity going to a, re a reliable source uh, to find the answer. Well, and so Father Dave, you know, kind of following up on that, this is, you know, a random question that might come up in the course of conversation we're talking about our kids bringing to us, um, might be around the dinner table, you know, something like that. But if we do have our kids going to some sort of religious education program, uh, some sort of religious ed, uh, you know, classes mm -hmm. maybe at the parish. Do you think it's also important to have a set time, a structured time where we have that continuing kind of time? I mean, we might have family prayers. Do you think it's important to have some of that time for continuing religious education as a family within the home? Or should it just yeah. be kind of organic that it happens <clears throat> as it comes up in conversation? I would say a couple of things about that. Uh, I certainly definitely believe in uh, family habits. I think the two most powerful habits you can have is morning prayer and evening prayer. Uh, and I think the habits generally should be around spirituality and about prayer. So beginning the day with prayer and ending the day with prayer is a magnificent spiritual bookends for the day that are extremely powerful. The morning prayer looks forward to the day, asking for the grace that you're going to need for that baseball tournament or that history test or whatever's going on. And then the evening prayer is a beautiful time of reflection, of looking back on things that went well, things that didn't go well, learning some lessons about that, you know, and, and you know, still feeling in God's grace. Those are great bookends. Grace before meals, you know, just kind of always an automatic thing that's a very, very beautiful thing about gratitude, not taking every meal for granted, but, you know, being grateful for what we have. I think having uh, a lot of religious iconry, it, in the in the house <clears throat> pictures and statues and things uh, that are just kind of there all the time um, but i always think that one of the very best ways i'm not sure if a set time is is right you know religious education and school are set education times at house in the home i think the best way is to respond as a question comes up if somebody if somebody your child asks you what's that picture about what's that icon about what's that statue about See, now you know you have their attention. You don't have to grab their attention. You don't have to fight with them. They are already asking. So it's a perfect time to kind of slide in uh, as much of a message as you have. <clears throat> Obviously, all of this is age dependent. Right. Uh, the younger they are, you know, you kind of wait for them to ask um, because they're 
their minds are scattered. They're all over the place. They want to play. They want to do this. They want to do that to kind of focus their attention, of course, is the challenge of every teacher. So the younger they are, you kind of wait for the question to arise and then you can use that opportunity. Now that, now that they have, you have their attention, you can, you know, say a lot. Older children, you know, you can say, you know, you know, I want to talk to you about, uh, about dating and what our faith says about dating. Or I want to talk to you about drugs and what our faith says about drugs. So those can be kind of more set formal times. Um, but I think uh, the most powerful educational action that combines school and home is if children hear at home the same things they hear at school, it's a double reinforcement and very, very powerful. So if they hear something in religious class at school or in their Catholic school, and then they hear it repeated at home in a different context in the house, uh, that's, a, that's a double reinforcement that is extremely uh, powerful and, and leads to a deeper sense that, oh, this really is important. This really is something. This is not just something that my teacher is saying. My parents are saying the same thing as well. So that's very powerful. The one thing you should never do is denigrate what kids um, denigrate the faith or, you know, uh, make, uh, let's say the parents are not very happy perhaps with their particular parish. That's may, that may be fine. There may be good reasons for that. But you want to be very careful about connecting problems you have with the music or the parish or the parking lot or those kind of temporal things with our Catholic faith. So uh, if you have problems with the parish, you know, kind of keep them to yourself or make sure that you just distinguish the difference between criticizing, you know, temporal concerns at the parish versus our timeless Catholic faith. You never want to uh, muddy the waters that way. Does right. that make sense? Oh, absolutely. You know, and I really liked what you were saying too, Father, about, you know, the different images, the different icons. There's also, uh, you know, there's my wife has a couple of things up in our house where it's something out of Scripture too. Um, one is that passage from St. Paul's. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's uh, the 13th chapter of his first letter to the Corinthians uh, where it talks about love. You know, love mm -hmm. is not selfish, love is patient, it's kind, all of these different things. And so our kids see that again and again and again, and it kind of reinforces just in their mind by them seeing it. Another one that she had up for years, we don't have it right now, but for years and years, in a little half bathroom that we have on our main floor, there was right across from the toilet. You'd sit there, and it was the first thing you could see. It was just a little laminated sheet of the Ten Commandments. And so every time our kids went in to use the toilet, well, they're just staring at the Ten Commandments right there in front of them. But it meant that they were actually memorizing those because you'd see it every single day, you know. Um, so little things like that. I, I think that's great, Father. You know, it really does help drive home, you know, whether it is an image, an icon, you know, you, you're looking at Mary, the Blessed Mother, you're looking at the Holy Family, you're looking at a saint, you know, oh, well, what did this saint do? And if you have that image, it kind of reinforces for your kids that that virtuous life that they lived. Um, so whatever it might be, those things really do make a lasting impression. Absolutely. They see them at church, and then, oh my gosh, they come home, and they see the same, many of the same things that in the house as well. It's very, very powerful. Yeah. And again, for, the, for little kids, wait for them to ask. For older kids, you can just say, I'm putting up this icon because of these reasons. 
Father, let's go to the phones. We've got Jessica, who's listening in Naperville, Illinois. And again, our studio line, 888-914-9149. What have you done with your own kids to help teach the faith? What are some of those successful approaches, successful practices to help your children understand things? Uh, Maybe it's a process of you and your kids learning together. Again, our studio line, 888-914-9149. Hi, Jessica. You're on on the air with Father Dave. Hi. Hi, Father Dave. Um, So I think with kids and even with adults, I think there's a lot of beauty in simplicity. And um, so I love what you're saying about putting the Ten Commandments up or having an icon up. But what we've done, and this happened totally organically um, when my kids were little, I love Thessalonians 5.16, pray without ceasing in all circumstances, give thanks. So um, in everything, give thanks kind of became my motto. And again, um, with the kids, when something would happen or we couldn't explain something, um, even, you know, it would the good things and the bad things, I would always say, and I've continued to, um, in all things, give thanks. And at first it was, well, I don't understand that. Why would I give thanks if it was, if it was negative? And now that the kids, my boys are 11 and 13, now it's funny to see them when things do happen, whether good or bad, they will, and all things give thanks. And so it's done a couple of things. It's, one, it's simplified it. Um, by choosing a Bible verse, and um, that would be my suggestion um, for any family. Just choose one of your favorite Bible verses, and because so many things stem from that one verse. It's, you know, there's there could be multiple lessons in one verse, and um, it'll start those conversations, and, um, and two, it's given them, you know, kind of a roadmap as they get older to, um, you know, how to, how to view things within their Catholic faith. Jessica, I think that is outstanding. I think that's an excellent idea. And I think you chose very well that passage from Thessalonians to pray without ceasing. Uh, but then I think you bring, you actually express it in a very practical way so that no matter what happens, good or bad, uh, prayer comes into it. You know, dear Lord, help me get through this. Dear Lord, thank you for this great victory, whatever it is. And I think, you know, teaching that you can bring God into every experience of life is a wonderful example for your two kids. And it basically uh, conveys the message that God is never missing. There's never an event that he's not participating in or not observing or not with you. You know, his final words, I am with you always until the end of the world. And to, to make that practical, to say that all the events of the day that you can connect with God through talking and prayer is powerful. And, and it is a very practical way to express that beautiful passage from Thessalonians to pray without ceasing in good times and in bad. Great idea, Jessica. Thanks for calling in and sharing that. Yeah, thanks so much for being a part of the program, Jessica. Again, our studio line, 888-914-9149. Email address, innerlifeatrelevantradio.com, as we're talking about ways that we can pass the faith on to our kids, help them understand what we believe. Um, You know, one of the things that might be good to talk about just for a moment here too, Father, is if our kids are older, you know, they're in college, maybe they're out of the house onto their own kind of career path, their own lives as young adults, or maybe even beyond that. You know, if we have kids that are grown and they have their own kids, their own family that they've started, and we're grandparents, what are ways that we can, at that stage of our life, still be involved, still help mm-hmm. to, to pass on the faith when we're not actively parenting, you know, maybe like Jessica, an 11 or a 13-year-old? Sure. Well, this is a great challenge, and, and I think the first virtue that 
parents and, and grandparents have to recognize when kids are older or especially when they're out of the house is to have a sense of humility and an honest understanding of what you can do and what you can't do. Because as, as your children get older, they become their own person. Remember, Jesus, Jesus even said to Joseph and Mary, I must be about my father's business. Uh, so even there, he's disengaging slowly. Um, so your children are on their own path, and we just have to recognize that everybody is on their own journey, their own path. And sometimes they, make, they may take some years where they're away from the church. And that can be disheartening and dispiriting. Uh, but we never lose hope. We always, always maintain contact. Uh, but recognize that we are not, we're not in charge anymore. We're not totally in command of the day as we were when we were parents, when our children were two and three and four. Our children are older now. They're adults. Uh, they have a right to kind of make decisions for themselves and their own family. So certainly a sense of humility. Um, and then, in a sense, you always have to ask permission to be involved in the life of your married children and their grandchildren because as the baptism ceremony says, they are the teachers of the faith and, and uh, we, grandparents can only be participating and it always with respect and always with permission from the parents. I think if, the, if you act, act in that way, parents will respect you as grandparents and, um, and allow you more uh, uh, access to your grandchildren. But just in general, it's gonna be, you're not going to have as much influence as you did before. Right. Uh, but always, you know, no matter what your children do, you always maintain your own faith, your own hope, and your own love. No matter what people around you are doing, you, you have that gift of faith, hope, and love yourself. And so you always put your mask on first. You always uh, take care of your faith and make that uh, always continue to grow yourself. You know, as you're saying this, too, I, I think it's also appropriate to, uh, and I say this again and again on this program, Father Dave, because mm. I always kind of go into whatever topic we're talking about here on The Inner Life with the understanding that, well, of course, everything starts and ends with prayer. You talked about that with the beginning and the end of the day, but if your kids are out of the house or, you know, they have their own family and, uh, you know, we cannot underestimate the supreme power and importance of prayer. And, you know, God, as a father, loves us and our kids. He loves our kids more than we love our kids. As much mm -hmm. as we might love our kids, he loves them more and wants the absolute best for them. So those prayers will be heard. You know, I mean, he, there's still free will at play, of course. You know, our, our mm -hmm. kids are going to make their own choices, like you said. But, uh, but yeah, if there's that way that God can get through to them, your prayers will be heard. Never Prayer without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Our spiritual director, Father Dave Heaney, and our studio line, 888-914-9149. What ways have you taught your kids about the faith, about what we believe as Catholics? We'd love to hear some of those successful approaches, those uh, ways that you have made the faith exciting, made it real for your kids as they've been growing up. Again, 888-914-9149. More to come here on The Inner Life on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Welcome back to The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. Call in now to share your story with our Inner Life Spiritual Directors. 
1-888-914-9149. That's 1-888-914-9149. This is The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. Thanks for listening to The Inner Life today here on this Monday. I'm Josh Raymond, along with our spiritual director, Father Dave Heaney, a priest in the Archdiocese of Los Angeles. And today we're talking about how we pass on the faith to our kids and how have you done that in your own family? What are some ways that you've taught your kids about what we believe as Catholics? What have been those successful approaches, the uh, creative ways that you've taught your kids about the faith, especially maybe some of those more difficult aspects of the faith? Things that uh, a lot of us, even as adults, we approach and say, boy, (laughs) that's a tough one. You know, the doctrine of the Trinity, three persons, yet one God, how Jesus is fully God and fully man at the same time. Uh, We'd love to hear from you. 888-914-9149-888-914-9149 is our studio line. I want to say thank you to Nick Santovich and Jim Shaper for their help in producing the program today. And of course, you can always go back and listen to the program if you just joined us. If uh, you missed some of the earlier conversation, it'll be posted here in just a little while after we conclude the program at relevantradio.com or on the Relevant Radio app. You'll find the podcast there. Uh, Father Dave, you know, as we've been talking about some of these different ways we can impact our kids in their understanding and their learning of the faith, one thing that comes to my mind is it's such a different world today than when you were young, when I was young. You know, our kids are connected to their peers on social media constantly. If they say or post something online, if they record a video where they make a comment that, you know, might not be considered politically incorrect, if it's considered insensitive, all of a sudden the world sees this and it's there forever. You know, it's just, it's archived. Um, You know, if I did something stupid when I was a teenager, Maybe I got a talking to by my mom or by a teacher, but that was it. That was the end of it. You know, there wasn't much else that I had to deal with. So today, if a teenager does that same stupid thing and it's captured by someone with a phone, uh, they they have that out there for all posterity. And I guess my point is it's just kind of important to understand some of the different pressures that our kids are under in their lives today that we just didn't have to deal with in the past just asking kids to step back a little bit and take a look at what's happening. Um, I remember I was watching a Western with my dad when I was a kid, and and the two cowboys got into a fight, and he said, notice how they never lose their hats so that you can tell who is who. That was astounding to me, and I was able to step back from the TV and see what's actually going on in an objective way. I think we can tell our kids that, you know, it's called social media, but it's really isolating media. When people are on social media, they're actually not talking to each other. They're kind of just have their head down and looking at a phone. It's very isolating. We want to talk to them about what are good and bad sites. And I think what you said also is so powerful about the difference between watching and posting. And if you post something, the whole world sees it and it's forever and you can never, never take it back. So I think there just needs to be that kind of time to sit down and talk about how social media is not social, it's isolating. There's a difference between watching and posting and to really recognize what are the good and bad sites because there's good sites on on the media as well. I think one of the most powerful things, the, the, the danger of social media is that children and teenagers really lose the ability to communicate by talking, by actually, you know, 
having a conversation with someone. And I think the best antidote for that, it works on a number of levels that is extremely powerful. In fact, people ask me, what is the one thing that a family can do that will do the best for family health and spiritual health? And I say it's, it's the family meal. And of course, the parallel for that is the Sunday Mass. Right. But at the family meal, you have people of different ages, different genders, different personalities, different in all kinds of different ways. And they're all together doing the same thing. And they're all learning to talk with each other. Brothers are learning to talk with sisters. Mother and father talk. Parents are learning to talk with uh, children. If there's grandparents there, there's a bigger age gap. And yet they're learning each other's language and how to communicate across all these gaps of culture, of gender, of age. Incredible learning experience. And of course, it's over something that's very enjoyable, you know, a good meal. So make sure that the family meal happens. It's wonderful if it can be breakfast as well to start the day. That may be not possible, but if you can, make a family breakfast, make a family meal, make it a priority, make it very important. This is what our family does. Other families maybe, maybe do other things, but this is what our family does. Uh, it's a, and, and there can be no phones. So the phones have to go someplace else, their, their ringers are off. So you have that time when children and the family is learning to communicate. My dad used to kind of throw out the inflammatory political statement at every meal, which would get us all going. And I look back on it now, and I know he did it deliberately, just to kind of get, get us all talking and respectful for others' opinions mm. and whatnot. So a family breakfast, a family meal, no phones, no social media. I think you just have to have that sit-down talk with a teenager about the the good aspects of media and the bad aspects. It's actually isolating um, and um, and just to be very careful about anything that you post. But I think the, the family breakfast, family meal, and of course the Sunday uh, meal, the Sunday mass, those three things um, are, are an antidote to any isolation um, trend that social media is happening today. That's great. I love that. And you know, the other thing that I think of with just our family meals that we'll have is our kids get an opportunity then, especially the younger ones watching the older kids and mm -hmm. watching, you know, parents or a grandparent or an uncle or an aunt, you know, whoever's around the table talking. They also learn how humor works or how sarcasm might, you know, come into play. There's, it's, there's so many different facets and aspects of conversation that happen there. And sometimes it is where it's just sharing stories and remembering, you know, fun times. Other times it's where you are able to dive into, uh, you know, something that's happening politically or in the news. Other times it might be that uh, you really are talking more about the faith or, you know, somebody had a hard day and you're able to lift up and, and kind of uh, encourage that family member there. Uh, I, I think that's, that's just excellent, Father. Um, let's go back to the phones. We've got Jeff who's listening in St. Louis, Missouri. Hi, Jeff. Welcome to The Inner Life today. Hello, guys. How are you today? Great. This is kind of ancient history. My eldest, I have four children. My eldest started college uh, 23 years ago. And uh, as, he, as we were going through that summer and preparing for him to go away to school, uh, I was at my office one day, and I'm not going to take credit for this. It had to have been the Holy Spirit. But I just pulled up, pulled up Word and started typing. And what I ended up with was a contract that I brought home. And uh, it covers things like general behavior, grades, 
if there's conflict, you know, what if authority to consult and what order, etc. But uh, the, the last uh, bullet point in that contract was a requirement that they go to church at least once a week in addition to Sunday. Sunday was always a given. Uh, thankfully, we got through all those years with all the kids and never once did they question it. They just knew that we got up and we were going to be at Sacred Heart at 10 o'clock for Mass. There was never any discussion. And I, I made two copies of the contract. I had a line for a signature of both the child and, and myself and wife. Uh, we reviewed the contract. And uh, and I, I, basically, I, I think where it came from is I look back at my early college years. I was in the seminary for a year, and then I went to a, uh, a state university here in St. Louis. And I knew the priest from the seminary, and he was a cool guy. And uh, I was always free at about that time at noon when they had Mass. And uh, I hate to admit it, but there were some cute girls who would go over there. I went for all the wrong reasons. But I looked back on it, and I thought the grace that I got from that kept me out of really some serious mischief. Uh, and, and, and in those early years, I'd never once, I rebelled against a lot of things, but never once rebelled against my faith. I never missed Mass. People can't believe that. Even when I was a teenager or a young adult, I never missed Mass on purpose. So, And it seemed to have worked out pretty well for us. Well, whatever works, works. I'm glad it did. Um, you know, I think, uh, I love the idea of this kind of agreement that you made with each other. You know, in our faith, we talk a difference between a contract and a covenant. A contract often involves property and things, and a covenant involves people and persons. So, you know, whatever word we use, I think that you made a covenant with your children that worked. And so, um, good God bless you. It's a nice story. It's a happy story. It has a good ending. So I'm glad that you let us know, Jeff. And uh, it was 23 years ago when this happened, and it's still having a blessing today. So thanks for letting us know. It's a great story. Thank you. You know, the other thing that comes to mind, Father, listening to Jeff there is even if your kids are still in the home, you know, having that little bit of celebratory uh, association with Mass. You know, if you go to Mass, then you get donuts afterwards, or you go <laughs> and pick up, you know, ice cream if you go to the vigil Mass, or something like that. Those things really do last with kids. You know, it, it really imprints on them so that, that there's always kind of that joyful, happy, fun association with going to Mass. Absolutely. Uh, Father, we're out of time here. We've got about 20 seconds uh, to go. Can I ask you to offer all of our listeners a blessing as we conclude the show today? Heavenly Father, we ask your blessing on all those with the great honor of guiding young people in the faith. Give them wisdom they need to find joy in their family's journey of faith. And we ask this blessing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Father Dave Heaney, our spiritual director today. And again, if you would like to learn more about him, read a little of uh, some of his continuing work, his latest book, Luke Leadership, How to Succeed in Parish Ministry. And it's published by Ave Maria Press. Of course, want to encourage you to stay tuned. We've got Mass that's coming up uh, next here on Relevant Radio. And hope to see you back here tomorrow, of course, on The Inner Life. Have a blessed afternoon. <laughs>